0: And the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Episode One Hundred Five, or as I like to call it, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Ca- Canada Act One Hundred One, because that's what we're going to be doing today: is talking to Professor Martin Olashinsky, who is uh, the University of Calgary uh, Law Faculty about the very, very, very curious piece of legislation that got passed, well, this morning, actually, at uh, 1 a.m. Alberta time, that, well, I'm going to let Professor Olashinsky explain it to you. Uh, So welcome to the
1: interview, Martin. Hi, Markham. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm glad you came on because this is a very, very puzzling, uh, I mean, there are, there's there's the, the the legal aspects of it, the constitutional aspects of it, and then there's the political aspects. And I suspect this is more about politics than legislation, but we'll talk about that. So this is, uh, this is an act, uh, da- Premier Daniel Smith, when she was running for the leadership of the United Conservative Party, she ran on this thing called the Sovereignty Act, and I've been following you on Twitter as you dissected it in detail uh, ever since she announced it a couple months ago. And I've watched your legal uh, scholar colleagues, uh, you know, comment in your threads, and everybody thought this was ridiculous. Do you still think it's ridiculous?
1: I mean well I, uh, I, I, yes, but I mean, I think we also thought it was really harmful. and you know, without wanting to engage in hyperbole, uh, you know, I think people uh, are often you know, it's one of these tricky things, but I'll just use the word dangerous and and i'll I'll leave it at that um and or explain why I say that um as we go through this conversation but 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 certainly, you know, ridiculous in the sense that it had no you know that it was contrary to basic democratic norms and the rule of law um and and so on that point we just thought that we just found it i think a lot of us were just sort of just dumbfounded basically that you would have the premier of a province in canada um you know talking openly about ignoring the courts for instance like that seemed like a very bad idea uh, and she was called out on that and so then what she's essentially done over time what, what we see with the actual legislation is that she went from Saying that she'll ignore the courts, to sur- essentially wanting to circumvent them, wanting to go around them. Um, and, and that is essentially uh, the legislation that we have in front of us. And that's part of, again, really very problematic in any country that purports to be sort of like rooted in and governed by the rule of law.
0: Okay, so, um, w- so there were two things that come to mind that she did. One of them, she's take, taken off the table in amendments. So it's no longer in the legislation. The other one is sort of still the the uh, basic thrust of the legislation. And the thing that she took out was uh, the provision that granted Smith's cabinet, so gov- lieutenant governor and council, uh, the power to byla- bypass the legislature and rewrite laws as it saw fit. The fact that she would even suggest that that's sh- and and it and was in the first draft of the bill is gobsmacking.
1: Yeah, I mean, so again, really, the the best way to understand everything that's going on here is power, right? And 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 the fact that, you know, in my view, fundamentally, Miss Smith doesn't like the idea of sharing power in government, right? And so we have. And have had for hundreds of years this like basic understanding that in order to preserve democracy in any given instance and, and the rule of law, you need to have a separation of powers. Right? This is the the great sort of like learning over the past couple hundred years, beginning with the American sort of revolution and and the idea of you know uh, the Madisonian sort of idea that you know of checks and balances. Right? So you a government in any given government in a functioning democracy will have a legislative branch an executive branch, and a judiciary. And each has a role. And and the basic idea is that each one keeps the other in check in some form or another, right? And and there are some variations on the margins about this kind of stuff. But that general idea um, has been sort of like widely accepted as, as a basic blueprint for functioning democratic states. And so when you look at the Sovereignty Act, it was basically an attack on you know, To the extent of, uh, if you can think of the premier and her cabinet as the executive, they, were, they are trying to poach everyone's power, basically. They are trying to take, so in, in that first bit that you just described, you know, so what they wanted to do was have a machinery, and we'll talk about the trigger for this machinery in a second. But once this machinery was triggered, they wanted the power to make laws and to uh, behind closed doors. And right? to amend laws, so again, and, and to
0: amend what, existing laws. Right?
1: And amend existing laws, but really it was so broadly worded, frankly, you could take a whole piece of legislation based on how it was worded, take out all of the parts, replace them with a whole new part, and and that would have been okay. That was contemplated by that legislation when it was first introduced. Whole section you could essentially rewrite whole laws. You, the cabinet could have done that behind closed doors, plop them down, and that would have been it. That would have been the law um, at that point. Um, and so again, so that's an example of the executive branch wanting to steal uh, the, the 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 functions and roles of the legislature in passing laws. Okay, so that part that you know the, the the uproar was sufficient and the backlash was loud enough that they decided to climb down on that. But when it comes to like the very triggering mechanism of that, of this legislation, this is where they encroach on the judicial branch. So because the premier, and we can talk about this, I hope we do, has a completely uh, disconnected and disjointed view of the constitution and and an approach to constitutional interpretation that has long since been discredited. Then she clearly wants to avoid dealing with the courts uh, and, and the courts pronouncements about what is constitutional or not. And so the whole bill is triggered by the legislature again exercising what is clearly a judicial function so they will pass these resolutions where politicians who have neither the training nor the independence nor the impartiality of the judicial branch they will make declarations about the constitutionality or not of federal initiatives and once they've done that then that opens up essentially cabinet's power to do almost you know still an incredible array of things to change regulations to issue directives to provincial entities. And, and, and those are broadly, broadly defined to include not just not just like traditional branches of government, ministries, departments, whatever, but municipalities, post-secondary education, uh, nonprofit organizations that may receive funding from the provincial government and, and provide a public service. So she's essentially, it's essentially like a giant conscription exercise uh, in, in, to essentially reach out to any anything that's peripherally and attached to the provincial government and enlist them in in you know right. Premier Smith's war with Ottawa
0: Well look uh, and we should mention that the the premier and her cabinet ministers have already been on the phone twisting the arms and warning basically uh, organizations and businesses and so on that receive funding from the uh, from the provincial government that if they implement a mask requirement uh, that they will be stripped of their funding. Yeah, I mean, we
1: we certainly have, yeah, like there are reports that, you know, I think the premier admitted it. she was very proud of herself, um, that she that they are calling around and and trying to, you know, and then like this, like complete lack of self-awareness. This politician who has described herself as a as a libertarian conservative or a libertarian populist is calling other businesses and, and or having her ministers call them with essentially with the force of the state behind her and and pressuring them to adopt her perspective and her views on some of these things. So yeah, like it's, it's, it's totally wild. And But absolutely, this legislation is totally in line with and consistent with that vibe. She wants, you know, the, the power that they've given themselves is to, again, to control the most peripheral branches of government uh, and and to force them to, to sort of like, to inscript them conscript them into this fight with ottawa
0: right this is meant to be the kingdom of uh, or the kingdom of of alberta and and she's the queen and uh and and she and her advisors will will make laws and enforce laws and twist arms and and so on and the reason the the impetus to the bill she says was to protect Alberta from federal laws and policies that the Alberta legislature deems to be unconstitutional or harmful to Albertans or the province's economic prosperity in areas such as natural resources, gun control, COVID-19 public health education, and agriculture. Now one of the, she had an interview uh, last weekend with a CBC reporter. And she said very clearly, we need this because to push back and to resist the federal oil and gas emissions cap. And, and I have been tweeting about work uh, that I did in 2018 uh, about, and I won't go into the details because it's a long story. It's an interesting story, but it's a long story. We don't want to bore you. Uh, but basically in 2015, five oil sand CEOs had been meeting with five, uh, environmental group, executive directors, they came to a handshake shake deal, and, and which was then enshrined in Rachel Notley and NDP's government's uh, climate leadership plan. And it included a 100 megaton oil sands emissions cap. So the CEOs already of their own volition, of, of their own volition, went to the government and said, please put an emissions cap on our industry. And this is like seven years ago. This is not, you know, seven centuries ago or seven decades ago. It's fairly recent history. So it's beggars belief, beggars belief that the oil and gas industry has uh, needs protection from a federal oil and gas emissions cap when they asked for one in the in the not too distant future.
1: Well, this is the thing, right, is like and I've said this, I think somewhere on Twitter, probably at some point. I mean, what, what, what Premier Smith wants is not sovereignty from Ottawa, but sovereignty from reality. Uh, and that's uh-huh. true, whether Good it's line. climate Good policies line. or COVID policies, right? So like, think about this a couple of weeks ago, the premier was, was quite pleased with herself because um, you know, the minister of environment and climate change, Stephen Guibault, had not ratified or not signed on to, uh, you know, a general statement about the importance about uh, phasing out oil production or fossil fuel production, and of course. And it was a motion introduced by India, uh, right, which is soon to be the most populous nation in the world. Um, which you know, we can think back to our erstwhile premier, uh, Premier Kenny, who you know suggested at one point that it was really these developing countries that were going to be driving oil demand. And so, so here you have, you know, one of the sort of largest. Uh, and, and, and definitely with the, some of the greatest potential in terms of economies in the world right now, driving uh, uh, a statement at the international level about fossil fuels. Um, and and it, just, it was just so apparent, right, and clear in that moment that this is what's happening around the world. And that Ottawa, you know, and, and I'm not here to defend Ottawa, but, you know, really, if you take an objective view about it, it's, it's really about reading, reading the room internationally seeing where investment is going, seeing, you know, and you spend all your time in this space, right? And so, so Ottawa has, over time, done what, it, done what it can. It probably could do much more, but it's trying to do what it can to sort of help our own industries, like decarbonize, for instance, lower its emissions, to, to sort of set itself up to be a supplier, for instance, of choice in a low-carbon uh, sort of future or carbon-constrained future. Right. And instead, what we get from this government is, wailing and raging uh, and, and tilting at windmills uh, you know and and so you know like if you know so they can fight ottawa but are, you know and then they're gonna fight you know then they fight the wf or they fight you know whatever else they're going to fight um because well, uh, you know ultimately they can not accept you know fundamentally they don't accept the basic scientific notion of something like climate change for instance and the fact that fossil fuels are the major driver, the burning of fossil fuels are the major driving of climate change. Now, most of the world would rather prefer not to see itself in a two or 2.5 degree scenario situation. And therefore, everybody is is trying to move policy and regulations and laws in a way that will sort of like prevent that runaway scenario
0: right well that's okay so her two arguments here one is you know that yeah. her argument is, uh, uh that goes against climate policy because Alberta doesn't have a climate policy anymore uh jason kenny renege uh, re- uh got rid of that uh, the climate leadership plan in, in 2019 so it doesn't have any climate policy and the oil and gas industry is Canada's biggest emitting uh, industry 26 percent of national emissions a bit like by far so it's a big problem and instead of instead of Alberta and the industry doing the right thing and, and figuring out how to you know progressively lower emissions over time then Premier Smith decides that she's going to create a constitutional crisis in Canada, in order to achieve that goal, which is, but that, okay, that's a ridiculous thing enough, but I, that's ridiculous enough on the face of it. But here's, she said something, Martin, and I think this is where you were going when you, want, you wanted to talk about about some of her comments around the Constitution. Let me read what she said uh, in an interview. Uh, it's, or and she, this may even have been in, in, uh, in the legislature. Uh, it's not like Ottawa is a national government. It's not like the Canadian government is a national government, ridiculous on the face of it, but it gets worse. The way our country works is that we are a federation of sovereign, independent jurisdictions. They are one of those signatories to the Constitution, and the rest of us as signatories to the Constitution have a right to exercise our sovereign powers in our own areas of jurisdiction. Now, I think it was you on Twitter who pointed out that she literally has got the conception of of, of, of federation wrong because what she described is the European Union, a federation of sovereign
1: states. We are not that. It's just totally bonkers. It's just, it's just so you know, and and I think actually it was you know Dwayne Bratt and Jared Jared Wesley. Like you know, there's no shortage of political scientists on Twitter who I think I'm sure were uh, pulling their hair out when they when they when they read that and heard about that. It's just, it's just so completely divorced from reality. And so yeah, again, that's, that's something I've been saying for a while. Uh, and others like, you know, when you hear the premier, but but today really she she really did push. Uh, you know, like, blew past even where I thought she was, right? Like, I mean, so I, she, she would traditionally refer to provincial jurisdiction and this conception that, that once it was actually, you know, 100 years ago, sort of a, uh, a, the, the approach that was adopted by the Supreme Court was this idea of watertight compartments that, that, you know, yes, you had a federal government and you had a provincial government and each had their spheres of jurisdiction. And within those spheres, those are, they had to be interpreted in a watertight manner. Um, to preserve autonomy and et cetera, et cetera. But like that, that has given way over 50 years ago that gave way uh, because people understood that society, modern society is entirely too complex and modern economies are entirely too complex to organize in that kind of way and that there's going to be overlap, right? That, that one issue might be resource development, for instance, when viewed from one perspective, from a provincial perspective, but if that same resource development is causing harm, uh, to, to other people, other provinces, whatever. Then, for instance, it may be regulated under the criminal law power federally, and that's and that's just the basic reality that the premier refuses to accept. Well, but, but, but then that's... today, she just went. You know, she went way out, way beyond that even uh, into into you know something that just has no basis in any in any historical sort of like document or or or, or constitutional or otherwise. So, I mean, that was just. Yeah. Just deep, deep off the the I
0: I can't remember. I can't remember a a premier and I, I, you know, I I voted in my first election in 1977. I've been around for a while and I don't ever remember uh, a premier misunderstanding the Canadian Constitution in such a profound way. I mean, thinking thinking that Canada is more like uh, you know, has a federation more like the European Union instead of the federation that we do have with division of powers and and the thing something that you and I have talked about. I mean, you just described it, but basically there's a, a, a term for that. It's called cooperative federalism, where there's overlapping exactly. jurisdictions and then the the governments go to the court and, and will take it to court and and then the judges well, the judiciary will 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 figure out. How the government, uh, or, or sometimes even just encourage the governments. Look, guys, you both have powers here for the good of the people. You need to get along, and you need to come up with some cooperative arrangement to do this whatever thing it is that that, wants, that needs to get done. And 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 all of that, she just threw it out the window this morning. It's very yeah, extraordinary. You know and,
1: I, and you know, and and I'll say, like, you know, maybe sometimes cooperative federalism has this sort of. Um, really nice ring to it. But it's probably, you know, it's it's maybe a little bit, um, I don't want to say it's Pollyanna, but like, you know, the really relevant word is compromise, right? Another C word, right? Like it, cooperation, the, the flip side of cooperation is is that the reality that you won't always get what you want. And that, you know, and there are, of course, like, and of course, part of this is that it's so easy to overstate what is going on here. There are thousands of decisions being made about resource development in this province every day, that don't implicate the federal government you know in fact you know again in 2012 under harper the federal environmental assessment regime was reduced uh from from thousands of environmental assessments happening federally to like 50 or 60 right um and and so yes there is this like there's so much that that the province controls there are things that the federal government controls interprovincial works and undertakings pipelines tre- you know those kinds of things and then yes sometimes what might feel like a conventionally provincial type project has impacts on areas of federal jurisdiction. And so, and the feds then absolutely by virtue of the constitution and the fact that issues like fish and fish habitat um, have been assigned to them, transboundary pollution issues, then they also get a say. And it's not about subordination, right? It's about compromise. It's about recognizing that different levels of government may have a role here and they may have different ideologies. And, and you know, in and in, a, in, a, in a, frankly, a good way, it maybe that tapers out the worst instincts in both, right? Or at least well, it well, brings them well, both towards some kind of middle ground. Martin, um, I want that's really what should be going on here.
0: I, I want to bring up something. That I'm not sure that she and her advisors have thought this through because uh, you'll remember. Well, everybody in Western Canada will remember the big fight over Trans Mountain expansion pipeline that you know began in 2015. And in 2017, uh, B.C. elected the NDP and John Horgan as premier. And and Horgan fought and fought and fought against the pipeline. The city of Burnaby fought and fought in court and before the regulator. And they lost because this was federal, exclusive federal jurisdiction. And then the government even bought the pipeline and built the pipeline over B.C.'s objections. So if, El- if Premier Danielle Smith can assert these powers and make these happen— if I was Premier David Eby in in uh, in um, BC, I would just say, hold on a second, stop the construction of that pipeline. If Alberta if Alberta can override federal jurisdiction because it's convenient for them, well, it applies to BC as well. And guess what, folks? That pipeline ain't going nowhere. It's stop construction tomorrow. Am I right or am I wrong?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and again you know, there was some, there's some ambiguity in this legislation. So that, that point was made, I think, since June when, especially when the premier was talking about ignoring the courts Um, here, it all hinges on this interesting provision that says essentially that nothing in the act should be construed as making any person, you know, compelling any person to not comply with federal law, but then it very explicitly carves out provincial entities. Right. And, And so then it was this, it's this debate that we've had about whether or not, um, you know the way that the premier would characterize this legislation is it's merely about non-enforcement. It's about not compelling the provincial government to have to uh, essentially assist the federal government in enforcing its own laws, regulations, policies, and preferences. And, and and the answer to that, of course, is always like, well, no, it never would have to. Um, and and so then, of course, that also begs the question, like, well, then why do you need to pass a law to tell you that you don't have to do it? Um, and, and and so. And then at the same time, that law very clearly goes beyond just talking about non enforcement, but seems to carve out this like and contemplate the forcing, you know, forcing provincial entities, you know, to, to not to not conform uh, to be out of compliance with federal laws. So so absolutely, right. if I'm in, in B.C., then, you know, I absolutely you know So then, OK, well, let's uh, let's move some provincial entities to not have to comply with uh, the Canadian Canada energy regulator including you know, the and department and various... including the
0: departments that yeah. issued issued the uh, over 600 uh, uh, permits that uh, that the uh, pipeline the trans Mountain expansion pipeline were
1: required yeah. to, to build a well, pipeline in bc and i mean to give you a very clear sense like so you know burnaby was ragging the puck uh in the context of the tmx so on a couple fronts there was there was a point there where they were just like really delaying a lot of the sort of because it's not like none of those municipal permits apply anymore they do but but and so what Burnaby was doing a little bit, frankly, is is really you know trying to delay the whole project. Right. And and the C R came in and said you can't do that. Yes. You have they to absolutely do this, and, and you have to move this in a reasonable way. They and so, exercised ab- federal
0: jurisdiction on behalf of the government to make Burnaby do what it was supposed to do.
1: Exactly right. And so absolutely, this law, if it was written in B C, would appear to contemplate giving. the British, giving BC government the power to issue a it to Burnaby being saying, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the CR. You take your time. You take your time with that permit, Burnaby. You take your time with those tree permits or whatever else it is. Absolutely right.
0: Well, look. One, I know you have to leave, and so just very quickly, uh, Chief Tony Alexis of the uh, Alexis Nakota Sioux Nation today, uh, representing Treaty Six, said there's been no consultation or dialogue with First Nations around around Bill Number One, and and the the First Nations are Indigenous communities are absolutely up in arms about this, uh, because of course in the Canadian Constitution they have to be consulted, they have legal standing. And they're being completely and utterly ignored uh, by the uh, by the UCP and by by Premier Smith. Uh, what are we to make of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I'm you know I want to I'm careful not to say too much here in part because I think um, you know I, I want to allow First Nations to sort of uh, represent and 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 um,
0: speak for themselves, you know, explain yeah, right. and speak for sure. themselves.
1: Exactly right. Um, and so, but 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 certainly, what I can say is that. You know, this issue is a live one. Uh, the Supreme Court at one point did several years ago consider the the whether or not legislating, passing laws, whether it itself triggered a duty to consult. Um, and it seemed to suggest that it didn't. But at the same time, left open some other grounds for challenging that kind of behavior where it was particularly problematic. I think here it's a little bit more different because that was, of course, the federal government and First Nations have always had a bit of a an issue with provincial governments to the extent that they see them, you know, like, they see their relationship, their treaty relationship in particular, as being with the federal government, right? Because mm-hmm. treaties right. were passed, you know, and, you know, to miss to, to the premier's point, um, Alberta didn't sign anything because Alberta did not exist until, you know, early in the <laughs> 20th century. nineteen oh five, Exactly. Well, after Canada, the federal government signed all of the numbered treaties with all of the First Nations out here in Western Canada. And so, you know, those treaties were signed with the Dominion parliament, with, with the federal government. And so- uh, you know, Nation to nation between the crown and the- Nation nation, exactly right. Yep. And and so there is this like, so so that complicates the, here where you have, for, you know, essentially provinces or, you know, at least Alberta, asserting that using this very, ter- this term that I think means a lot to First Nations, especially about sovereignty. Um, if I, I think it's like just deeply, deeply offensive, frankly, um, to them, because at the end of the day, these are their territories, um, their traditional territories. So we'll have to see, you know, I'm, I, I think what we can say safely is that I don't think this is idle chatter. I think, um, I think when you see the kind of resolutions that we saw today, I think it was at the assembly of first nations. Um, when we see the kind of like pushback that we've heard about from various first nations, um, you know, this is going to. This is this is not you know this law has been passed, but we're, go, we're it's not the last thing that we've heard about it, and I'm pretty sure it's going to continue to generate generate right. controversy for the next month for the months for for all months to come basically. Uh, yeah, right between up now in the, you know, and the
0: election for sure. Yeah, and and and, yeah. and 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 it should be pointed out and for decades now, uh, First Nations and uh, Indigenous communities, if we include the Métis, have been very very uh, assertive. Uh, they've asserted their rights in the court. And they've won legal battle after legal battle after legal battle on constitutional issues, uh, and so their constitutional rights are very, I think, in most cases, very well defined. And and uh, they will not take this laying down. They just simply won't. I mean, they've been they know how to do this. They're actually yep. they're actually very experienced uh, constitutional fighters. And if Premier Premier Absolutely. Smith is Premier Smith is bringing a penknife to a bazooka fight. Uh, if she thinks that she's going to run over the uh, First Nations, is my opinion.
1: I, I think that you know it, it. You know when again the story of the UCP government generally, and and let's be clear because it's easy to sort of just focus on Premier Smith right now, but generally the UCP in this province for the past couple of years has been a shambles. It has been uh, incompetence and you know uh, mistakes, um, controversy, just on a on, like a, on a. On a weekly if not daily basis things have been going sideways in this province for the last few years um i i i'm tired of it i have to think that the majority of albertans are tired of it um and and again with you know to the extent that premier smith's election was was supposed to represent a change it has just been more of the same it's just been controversy and embarrassment and incompetence week after week so i agree that you know essentially you know picking a fight now with you know with first nations in this province at at this level um it just, it's just more of the same, frankly, and and right. so yeah, I, do, I, I don't think, I can't see it ending well. I can't see any of it ending well for at least this premier and this government.
0: Well, look, I'm going to let you go, Martin, and I, I have a few uh, comments that if you, uh, when we get it posted later today or tomorrow, if you want to tune in, you can read, you can listen to my comments at the end. But thank you very much for this. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome, Markham. Have a good night.
0: Now, what I wanted, what I want to say is, I want to harken back to an interview I had with Professor Dwayne Brat, from who's political scientist at the University uh, Mount Royal University, and and also Lorian Hardcastle, who's a professor of law, one of uh, Martin's colleagues at the University of Calgary. They have remarked in interviews about how incompetent the use, you know, the United Conservative Party has been when it drafts public orders and legislation. This is a government that. Can, that very often uh, in the past under professor, uh, 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 Premier Jason Kenney would leave things to the absolute very end and, and then do, pass orders, public, public health orders and draft legislation for political purposes. And it would be done at the 11th hour. And very often bureaucrats have to, uh, so I'm told by these professors, they that very often bureaucrats were working overnight to draft legislation. Well, this is complex stuff. And it's no wonder there's mistakes, and it's no wonder they get the language wrong, and it's no wonder they get. But these are these are the professional, you know, the bureaucrats, the the legal advisors of the government, who aren't being given time to do their jobs. And rec- but that's that's one issue. I mean, a sloppily written bill that you know has to be amended many times, and the premier's walking back her her commitments many times and having to explain. I mean, this is just over the last couple of weeks has been a daily occurrence, an hourly occurrence almost. But there's something else going on here. And in my opinion, uh, what we're seeing, this is the same principle at work, the same driving force as you see with Donald Trump in the United States. I mean, Trump has been lying for the last couple of years about how he lost the 2020 election and it was was fraud and and there was all sorts of, you know, uh, there were all sorts of uh, uh, irregularities and things that were done at the state level. And the whole point of this the the whole point of the effort is to undermine democratic institutions undermine constitutional uh, uh, constitutional institutions and and norms and practices and really at the end and now there's a, a there was a, a a survey a poll i saw the other day something like 36% of americans would prefer non-democratic strongman government authoritarian government now that ought to give Canadians pause because we know that whatever happens in the United States eventually finds its way up here. And that same poll found that 16% of, of Canadians would welcome the same thing. And, the, and it was, I think it was closer to 25% in Alberta. And it's pretty clear to me that basically what Smith is doing is she's appealing to those people who were very often, I remember one time I was on her radio show on QR 77 and afterwards she was walking me out and she was talking about her audience and she says, well, it's my my old wild rose party constituency and, you know, these are the real right wing, the the real, at that time you know 3 4 years ago they had they were the radicals on on the right and and they they've gone even farther now with the anti-vax and the anti-mask and and so on and they're radicalized they've fallen down the same uh, rabbit hole as trump has and as now the the republican party dr- has been dragged down the rabbit hole by donald trump that's where this is going i mean literally uh, uh martin <laughs> martin uh, alluded to the fact that uh, shortly after Smith became premier that she publicly said, well, I'm not an authoritarian populist. She actually was re- referring to a comment that I made on Twitter. She it was on Ryan, the Ryan Jesperson show, and I've called her an authoritarian populist for a while now. And she w- got kind of heated about that. And she said, no, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a libertarian populist. No, she's not. She's an authoritarian populist. She's exactly in the mold. She's she's an Alberta version of Donald Trump. And that's where she's going. And that's why she's undermining the the Canadian Constitution. That's why she's abrogating all of these powers to herself and to her cabin as much as she can. So she can get around the, the things that she doesn't like. And she can do things without the hindrance of con, the checks and balances like the judiciary and of the legislature. And it's quite frankly quite frightening. This is a slippery slope. And frankly, Jason Kenney, when he was premier of the UCP, started Alberta on this slippery slope. And now, Kenney, to give him some credit, I mean, he's an an old politician and cabinet minister at the federal level, and he had some respect for constitutional norms and democratic practices, not as much as one would like, but he had some, and Smith has none. And she would do away with it if she could to do what she wants to do and, and to deliver her to her constituency, And I must say uh, that as uh, a climate and energy reporter, I do a lot of work on oil and gas uh, in Alberta, and I know a lot of people in the industry, and that's her constituency. And I would be shocked, in fact, if there were not people, uh, you know, not necessarily companies, I wouldn't say, but certainly people in the oil and gas with deep pockets who are funding some of this nonsense, because they see it as pushing back against Against they're being made to decarbonize uh faster than they want to go. Uh, they want the governments to assume all of the cost. Uh it's not on their terms. And this is basically the you know, we've seen this over the last I don't know how many years, the industry pushing back and pushing back and pushing back and delaying. I call it rope-doping. You know, they just keep they just keep delaying. And this is this is now. Essentially, the nuclear the nuclear option in the rope-a-dope strategy, where you get a, you get the Alberta government to essentially <laughs> declare the constitution almost null and void, so you can the Alberta government can do whatever it wants and and protect those in the oil and gas industry who don't want anything to do with emissions reductions and federal jurisdiction of being told what to do. So that's my take on it. After you've listened to. uh uh, professor oloshinsky explained the ins and outs uh, of constitutional law and why danielle smith but folks we you know the americans were warning in 2016 2017 the horror the the, the horrors that would come the political horrors and constitutional horrors that would come with donald trump when he became president and those came true and so this is not something to be taken lightly you know i think martin did a pretty good job of of conveying the gravity of this situation. So I'm going to leave you with that. And we'll see what happens over the next four or five months. Uh, there's supposed to be an election in in April or May of, of next year in Alberta. And we'll see if that sorts it out. But the buckle up, folks. It's going to be a wild and woolly ride. <laughs>